Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Peach State Pandemonium, a production brought to you by the GWH Radio Network, where we take you down memory lane for a look at professional wrestling the way it used to be, with conversations from those who paved the way. And now, the GWH Radio Network presents Peach State Pandemonium. Good evening, and welcome to Peach State Pandemonium, the reunion tour. Uh, This is Michael Norris, along with my partners in crime, Jerry Oates and Bobby Simmons. This is Thursday, June 18th, 2020. How long has it been since we've done one of these, guys? It's been a while. Yeah, it has. We haven't done one this year at all, have we? No, uh -uh. I think it was back before, yeah, back before the holidays when we did our last one, and, uh, I'm not going to say this is going to be the last one again because uh, we've had more retirement matches than Terry Funk at this point. <laughs> well, <laughs> we can find something to do something about every now and then. Yeah. We can talk about the new the big, gym. The big news is Jerry Oates has relocated to uh, Columbus, Georgia, and the Oates Gym is alive and thriving once again. Yeah, thank God for that. I'm, I'm very happy. Happy to be home. Uh, I hope everybody else is as happy as I am. I'm not I started my diet three months ago, and I'm down about 35 pounds. So good for you. I'm, good uh, for you. I'm working on it. <laughs> and I need to gain that much. Well, I wish but, it was possible um, to send you some. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm doing, uh, yeah, I'm, uh, I just made my mind up. I had to do something, and uh, so far, so good. So that's, that's all it takes is willpower. It's, it's all in the head, you know. It is. You know, it, it, it's it's just food, you know. It's just we have to eat. eat. Eating the right stuff is, you know, it's really simple. Just absolutely quit eating out every day and and just quit snacking. And you know, you know, I find now I eat because I have to. I'm not even hungry most of the time now. So that's it. That's that's it. I don't deprive myself. If I got a note, if I get a taste for something, I'll eat a bite of it. I just don't eat the whole thing. So well, that's a ticket. You know, that you seems to be the trick. You, you can cheat here and there, you know, but you can't do it all day long and every day. I ate a, last week I ate a baked potato. It's the first baked potato I'd had in three and a half months. And I promise you, I could have ate a baked potato the size of a dinner plate. It, it was so good. <laughs> but I just ate a small one and, uh, and it was good, and it satisfied my craving. There you go. I'll, I'll wait three more months and eat another one. So, doing good. Eat all the sweet potatoes you want. They good for you? Yes, sir. Okay. I didn't know that. That may, I can add that to my agenda. But then, you know, that and uh, broccoli and cauliflower, if you like that. Um, I mean, I know what to do. I, I just, I'm, well, I'm, I'm the lightest I've been. And God knows, 
I wasn't this light when I started wrestling. Yeah, I've seen some pictures of you, man. You're straight up and down now. I saw uh, – I, actually, what I did, and, and I don't know if this is good, bad, and years ago, about 50 years ago. God, has that been long? 45 years ago. Dr. Tanner, who was the doctor for the wrestling office, put me on I, – I went. I lost about 50 pounds there in, in, in five or six months. And what he put me on, he said, I can eat any kind of meat I want as long as it's baked, broiled, or boiled. And I can eat all the green yeah. vegetables I want. There you go. And that's that's what I'm doing. That's what I'm doing. Uh-huh. I've laid off the laid off the potatoes and the bread and the, you know just to, uh, just kind of. But you know what you want. Yeah. I, I mean, mean, I like both. salad anyway, so that's not a big stretch for me just to sit here and you know eat salad. So. Bo did this. He was gonna do a bodybuilding contest with all that. It got canceled. This fictitious whatever it is virus or whatever it is. Right. Canceled. Closed everything down. And, I came home and I sat here a month and couldn't even open the gym, you know. So, but anyhow, right. I'm the only one, so that's why I looked at it, you know. But anyhow, he he also got in a part of this show called the uh, Biggest Transformation. Well, you wouldn't believe what he did. He looks unbelievable. He was eating. He five, didn't even look like himself to me. No, he was eating five meals a day. All hmm. he wanted the right stuff. Yeah. And, and what it does, if you're eating the right stuff and you keep feeding it, it speeds your metabolism up. It's, it's insanity how it works. Right. So people say, well, I'm, only, I'm only eating once a day and I haven't lost any weight. Well, you're not going to. It's just, I don't know, that's where the body's geared up. You feed it the right stuff, that metabolism says, oh, this guy's going to feed me. Yeah. You know, and he was eating like every three hours. And eating good now. I mean, he was... He would be eating salmon. He would be eating chicken. He would eat steak, uh, sweet potatoes. Uh, he was eating all the time. Huh. And it's just it's just fascinating how it works. I know how it works, and I ain't got it going yet. I'm, yeah, I'm if, back if you, if you eat sparingly, you know, like once or twice a day, your body thinks, hey, I'm not going to get fed. It starts storing it. That's what happens. People don't believe it. I mean, it's it's hard to convince somebody of that's what happens. But you, you eat the right stuff. I mean, I, I eat uh, like brown chuck. Uh, I like steak. I like salmon. That's about the only seafood I like. And I'll eat that. And then you know, I'll eat rice. Cause so I gotta have carbs, you know. But uh, I'll get my weight back up. I'm gonna put on twenty pounds. But I'm going to do it slow. What do you weigh right now, Jerry? 205. Okay. I'm down. I weighed Monday. I weighed 225. I've got five more to get to my goal of 220. I'm going to get 220, by the time my daughter gets married in October. But I had, in January, I was almost back up 250 pounds. And I just, I, uh, I quit snacking totally. I cut out all bread. Um, I cut out most cheese. Now, I have, like, like a couple of months ago, I treated myself, and I got, you know, various types of cheese, and I ate that, and then once that was gone, I quit. The only thing I snack on, I allow myself to snack on now is pretzels, and that's it. You know, that's fine. And, uh, I know, I know uh, the and, first time I ever met Terry Funk, Dickie was already training me, so my sister called me. She said, Terry Funk's over at the house. She said, uh, you want to come over here and meet him? I said, heck yeah. 
that's Terry's neck was bigger than his head. You know, he was Terry was probably twenty five. He's big, and so I, I went over to my sister's house. Dicky was there. Dicky said, "I'm training him to wrestle." He said, "Oh, you want to be a wrestler, huh?" I said, "Yeah." I said, "I'm almost ready to start." He looked at me. He said, "You kind of worm me, aren't you?" <laughs> well, Terry probably weighed 245, 250. I weighed 210. And uh, I said, yeah, I, said, I got to put on some weight. So he said, I'm going to tell you what to do. He said, this is what I did. He he told me about a product back in the day, and I remember it well. It was called MLO. He said, you drink three of those a day. And he said, you'll put on some weight. And I started drinking that stuff. Uh, well, I was drinking more than three a day. I said, man, said I look wormy. So. <laughs> <laughs> but that's when I weighed when I started two ten, and but you know I got up to my best weight was like two forty two, two forty five. That's where I kept it. I always had a hard time putting on weight. My metabolism's fast, you know. Thank God, but but I, I'll get it. But I, I don't want to get up over like two and a quarter, no more than two thirty. I can do that like the top. But I'm working out. I'm, I'm getting my size back and. I'm trying to keep my stomach flat. That's what I'm. I mean, I, I, that's what I'm trying to do. So it's kind of catch twenty two, but I can get around it. You need to learn to suck it in like Bill Maskris and stand on your tiptoes. Well, I'll <laughs> tell you one story about that, and then we'll get on to what we're supposed to talk about. I was in Japan with uh, Harley and uh, Mascaris and his brother Dos Caras, and I don't know who else was on the tour. And Harley wouldn't talk to him. He wouldn't speak to him. He couldn't stand him. So it was one Sunday afternoon. We was wrestling somewhere. Mascaris was in the ring, and Harley was out. Harley and I was out there watching. He said, "Hey, Daddy." He said, "How does that prick hold his stomach in like that?" I said, "You haven't seen him." <laughs> he said, "I don't pay no attention to that Mexican." He says, "What's going on?" I said, "Well, watch him tomorrow night." He he would put his tights on, right? He pulled his tights way up. I mean, his, his leggings. You know, he he always wore leggings. Right. He he would pull them way up. Then he would take a string around his midsection and he would crank that thing. Up. I, don't, I don't know how he did it, why he did it, and it would draw him in. And then he would tuck it down. Then he put his trunks on. So Harley said, "I said, you want to try that, Harley?" He said, "I'm not wrapping no string around my gut." I promise you. <laughs> Go ahead, Bobby. I was just going to say the first time I met him, Jerry Renesto told me, asked me to go out to pick him up. He was standing to Ramada and he'd come in. We were working for Gunkel. It's probably 73. And he told me to go out to the airport and pick him up at the Ramada. said he'll be in the lobby. And I told Tom, I said, Tom, I don't know the guy. I never met him. I said, how am I going to know who he is? He said, trust me, you'll know who he is. And I walked in at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and he was sitting there with his mask on. There you go. At 3 in the afternoon. And I picked him up. I told him who it was. He got in my car. I took him downtown. He never said one word to me. Not one word. Yeah, when I was on that tour, I sat across from him on the bus. And uh, he was a good-looking guy, man. If if I'd have looked like that, I sure wouldn't have worn a mask. He was a handsome (laughs) son of a guy. Good-looking hair. He and I were kind of talking, and he, he wouldn't talk much, you know. He thought he's somebody. Yeah. He said, "Hey, he said, hey, amigo." I said, "What is it, Mel?" He said, "You know, I have it. You know, he was Mister Mexico at one time." Yeah. Yeah. He said, "He said, uh, he said, uh, 
you know, he says, cocky God. He said, you know, I have it all. I said, really? He said, yeah. He said, I have the hair. I have the looks. I have the body. I said, yeah, you got to go on, don't you? Cocky Joker, man, he, he was something else. He was something else. If he, could have just, if he could have just worked, he'd have probably been something. Yeah, he not a lick. God, he was all. Not a lick. He oh. looked good to that thing, man. Oh, yeah. And everything he did was slow motion so he could yeah, pose. He, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> okay, Mr. Well, Roberto, we'll correct us where we need to go. <laughs> Roberto well, Soto told me when... when uh, he went to Puerto Rico to work for uh, Cologne, and uh, he got down there, and he didn't realize they wanted him to work under a mask as, as Timur Gonzalez as the invaders. So he uh, he didn't own a mask, so and, and Gonzalez wouldn't give him one of his. So he found a guy on the island that made masks for mascaras. You know, his his mask was very... The main one he wore in the ring was very unique with the M on it and all that stuff. Well, the guy made him one and was identical to Mascaris's without, <clears throat> with the exception of the M. It didn't have the M on it. So he's in the dressing room. He's, they're going out to work a battle royal. He's making his debut as Invader number two. He's in the dressing room. He's got his mask on. Mascaris comes in and says, you can't wear that. That's my mask. And you know Soto. That's like throwing, you know, hot water on a on a dog. He says, then, then I tell you what, you take it off of me out there. So Mascara shut up and left him alone. He, you know, Mascara went out. He purposely waited for Mascara to go out and make his entrance because normally he's the last one in, you know, into, right. into the ring. Well, Soto waited on him to go out there. Once Mascara is out there and everybody's kind of looking, he comes out. Sucks his stomach in, gets up on his tiptoes and walks out. <laughs> 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 I love Soto, man. He was something else. <laughs> I saw recently on uh, his most recent Facebook thing that he's he's living here in Atlanta, or he's got Atlanta as his home now. Who Soto? I don't know if he's act- Soto. Yeah, I don't know if he's actually here or not. Huh. I give up trying to call I'd him. Like to see him. I'd like to see him. I'd like to see him. I would too. Yeah, I would too. Just to mess with him. Before we get into our uh, talking about uh, John Walker, um, our uh, foreign correspondent from the the state of Alabama is on the line. I'm gonna get him on here with us. Dennis Mitchell, you with us? Guys, I'm with y'all. It's like old times, guys. I miss y'all being on air each week and all, and I tell you. Well, Jerry, I'm going to tell you something. On Sports Radio 740 Montgomery, I gave you a free plug about you reopening your gym in Columbus, Georgia. I think that's great. You're back in your hometown. Montgomery on account of that. Oh, oh, thank you, sir. (laughs) Man, you had me for a minute, Jerry. (laughs) I appreciate the plug, though. No problem, Jerry. Hey, Dennis, well, guys, Dennis, I'm going to come over there and sell your, your, sell your gym shirts for a dollar. <laughs> you want to. Well, guys, I tell you, 
tell you what, Mr. Wrestling number two, you know, at the 2011 convention that they had in Atlanta, he autographed a picture of him when he had that long white and black robe with his mask. He's, he didn't sign my name, but he signed the autograph. I appreciate him doing it. And I tell you, that man's going to be missed. He was he he was one of the best ever. I loved it when he beat Joe Powell, man. That was probably the highlight of Mr. S. Number two's career when he wore that three-piece suit from Louisiana, drove all the, over 500 miles, paid his $5 <laughs> ticket. That was one of the great moments in wrestling history for him. The greatest moment about all of that was I was flying back and forth to Louisiana when he was out there, and I stayed with him at his apartment. And he got a call from his wife when I was at his apartment, and she told me what was going on. That man went crazy in that apartment. He got on the phone and called Atlanta. He, I don't blame him. I, I, I really don't blame him. I don't either, I mean, man. I don't. He stole his gimmick. He should have had the courage to ask for his permission. No, you know? it wasn't. Just, no, that was the office did that. He didn't do that upon himself. I'll tell no, you. No, he didn't. No, 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 no. Joe Powell didn't no. do that. Joe Powell worked. If I, I believe he worked for Grady Odom when Grady was promoting independent he shows did. in the middle of Georgia, and and he. Let me tell you something about Joe Powell. Joe Joe Powell was a nice guy. Joe Powell was yeah. born when when God made John Walker and Joe Powell, he used the same mold. Now they didn't look alike in the face, but they were the same height. They had the same body. And I promise yeah. you, when they were wearing the wrestling two outfits, you would pass them in the hall and wouldn't know which one was which. <laughs> I'm serious. It was it was they were that close. Mm-hmm. And I really don't know whose Man. idea it was to to do that, but uh, well, well, Bobby, it I didn't, heard it didn't work out in Joe's true. best interest. I know that. I think the guy that originated that fault, you might know more more about it than I do, was Ole Anderson. I think Ole might have came up with it, and two got ticked off with Ole. You know that I guess you know Bobby. You know them better than I do. They had kind of like a love and hate relationship. <laughs> you know, I'm, that's true you know, with everybody. I'm, <laughs> you know what? I, you know what I'm saying behind the scenes. Yeah, you know, yeah. but Alton too wouldn't take nothing off of Ole. Kind of like Bob Armstrong didn't take nothing off of Ole. I was going to ask you what's the latest on Bob Armstrong, man. Well, I haven't heard anything. What I, I talked to somebody the other day, and they told me that Bob's wife Gail, uh, she has she has a touch of Alzheimer's dementia, and he said there's days that she does well, there's days that she doesn't, and said Bob, you know, yeah. Bob has refused to take any treatment for his cancer. He's just uh, uh, evidently he has good days and bad days, but he's but he's hanging in there, and that's kind of what yeah. I what I was told. I don't know anything. I haven't talked to Bob, so I don't know, you know, but well, that's what I was told. Well, I, I was just wondering wondering about all that. I tell you, man, oh, if anyone can beat it, it's Bob, man. I tell you, I know what he's going through. My granny had Alzheimer's. My granddaddy had cancer. He didn't go through chemo either himself. And so I know what they're going through and all. Well, well guys, I tell you, it's good to talk to you. I'm going to listen to Rick. Listen to the show and on the Sports Rev 740. I'm gonna give him a free plug on 
this great podcast. I miss y'all guys being on every week. I appreciate mm-hmm. everything y'all do when y'all talk about old school wrestling. It means a lot Thanks, to me. And well, it's good to hear you. from you, you, man. Thank it's you. really good to hear from you. Yeah. Well, guys, what I'm going to do is I put together and I spent some time digging into uh, finding what I could about John's career and everything, and I'm going to kind of go through the highlights of that. And then I'm just going to turn it over to you guys because you certainly knew you two knew him much better than I ever did. I only thing I ever was around him in the dressing rooms and on, on the, the sad end of that needle one time. That was enough to secure me right there. <laughs> but, uh, he um, and I didn't realize this that he was he was actually born in Charlotte, September tenth, nineteen thirty four. Uh, I'd always assumed that uh, since he grew up in a way that he was born there. I guess his his father was in somewhat connected to the military. Is how he wound up in in Hawaii. Um, the earliest match I could find for him was May 13, 1956, at Honolulu. Um, he may have started earlier than that, but that's that's the earliest I, I found for him. And he was trained by Pat O'Connor and Tony Morelli. Um, everybody knows who Connor, who Connor was. He was former NWA World Heavyweight Champion. But Tony Morelli was one of those old-time journeyman heels that worked all over the place. And, you know, kind of like... Uh, Buddy Austin or, you know, guys like that, that that worked in just about every territory back in the 40s and 50s. Uh, John was given the name Rubber Man by Paul Bosch in 1960 when he was in Houston. After he left Honolulu, he wrestled in Houston. I found results for him in Indianapolis. He wrestled in the Pacific Northwest for the, for the Owens family. Uh, he worked for McMahon Sr. out of Washington, D.C. and, you know, up, up the East Coast. Uh, and then he kind of hit his stride late in his career. Well, he, he had uh, worked on top in Tennessee quite a bit in the mid to late 60s. Um, then he hit Florida, and that was the first time he ever worked under a mask. He was called the Grappler, and he had um, was involved with a feud with Mr. Wrestling, Tim Woods, which that was the first encounter they had, and that was in 1971. And Tim, of of all things, was working heel as Mr. Wrestling in Florida. I think that's the only only time he ever worked heel in that gimmick. Uh, but uh, the grappler lost his mask to Mr. Wrestling, and then they had a hair versus mask match, and uh, John lost what little bit of hair he had. He still had. He lost that as well. Uh, and then um, he became the earliest. Uh, result I found for him as Mr. Wrestling number two is in January 1973. So that that's about right because Uncle died in November. The split happened in late November. Uh, Jared, Jared's the one that brought him in as wrestling two when Jared was kind of uh, booking the territory. And then the last full-time match I found for him was in May 5th of 1986. So he, by exactly one week, shy of working a 30-year career. Um, The titles I found for him, Albany Heavyweight Champion, Columbus Heavyweight Champion, Georgia Heavyweight Champion. This is just just mentioning the number of times or anything. 
Mississippi heavyweight champion, Southern junior heavyweight champion, U.S. junior heavyweight champion, North American heavyweight champion. And then with tag teams, uh, Macon tag team champion, Florida tag team champion, Georgia tag team champion, Southeastern tag team champion in Georgia, the Georgia version, Southern tag team champion in Tennessee, Mid-South tag team champion, Watts, and several times world tag team champion in Tennessee. So that's just that's that doesn't go into depth of of how what a great career he had, but that gives you an idea just the highlights of it. So I'll let you guys talk about him now. Well, I'll tell you my first encounter with him. I started in uh, Florida in uh, seventy, nineteen seventy, and the first time I went to Tampa TV. Well, that was a sight to see in the parking lot. They had some guys down there that thought they wanted to be wrestlers. And I pulled up, and there was guys out there bleeding. Anyhow, I mean, those guys all beat to a pulp. You know how they did down there on uh, Wednesday mornings. Oh, yeah. That's when we did the TV. So, anyhow, we get in the dressing room. I'm nervous as a cat. I, I don't know how many matches I've had, probably 10 or 11 matches, 12 matches. And they came in there and told me I was wrestling uh, the grappler. And I, I knew it was Walker, you know, but I'd never met him, you know, and I, I'm out nervous. And so we go out there and have a match. Well, the match. Well, when I got back to the dressing room on my left knee, I had the biggest, most grotesque-looking mat burn on my knee that you've ever seen. And he came over there to see how I was doing. He said, man... He said, I don't know how that happened. I said, I do. I said, you was eating me alive out there, man. And, you know, I was green. You know, when you're green, those canvases will eat you up, your shoulders, your elbows, your knees. And I didn't think that thing was ever going to heal. And over the years, he always asked me how my knee was doing. He thought that was the funniest thing. I mean, this thing was, it was gigantic. It It was bigger than my whole kneecap. And, you know, back then, we didn't wear knee pads. You know, and I didn't think I'd ever get it healed. But that was my first encounter with him. Was in Florida, and then let me ask you, Jerry, did he uh, uh-huh. he snatch that front face lock on you and, and drop to the mat with you? Yeah, I don't know when it happened. I don't know which angle I was coming down, <laughs> or him riding me and me trying to get away from him, or whatever. But it it was uh, it, it was it was grotesque. And then over the years, you know. Uh, you know, he came to Georgia, and then I came up here, and we became friends, and, and then, you know, I left and then came back, and then I think I've told this story on the show before. I had my first knee surgery in 77, and uh-huh. so uh, he was here in the territory, and uh, my brother and I, we were the Georgia Tag Team Champions, and I had hurt myself the last night in Kansas City. Well, the night, no, I got hurt in uh, the morning, and then we had one final match in Kansas City, and we came back to Georgia. My knee was really bothering me. I mean, and you know, then we got the titles on us, and we were wrestling Thornton and Charles every night, and blah blah blah, and blah blah blah. And I kept telling my brother, "So my knee's getting worse, man. I, I don't know how much longer I keep going." And we was in a good slot, you know, and I hated it. But then I finally told Ernesto, "I said I, I got to have my knee fixed, man." So. I had it fixed. So they, Dr. Andrews operated me on a Wednesday. And uh, I, I don't know what time he did it. 
and I was I woke up that afternoon. It was probably six thirty, quarter to seven, and I opened my eyes, and the room was slammed, packed with people. I'm looking toward the door, and I'm half awake and half not, and I'm looking around, and somebody's holding my right hand, and I look over there at him. I look over to my right, and wrestling number two is holding my hand with his mask on in the hospital. And I look at him, and I'm thinking, I must have died and went somewhere. Because I, I couldn't put it together, you know. I'm thinking, this looks like something I know, but I'm not sure. But anyhow, he said, it's all right, it's all right, this is too, you know. And the people saw him come in the hospital, and they followed him. And the nurses had to get these people out of my room. You couldn't even walk in there. It was, they was, you know, seeing where he was going. And, uh, and he, he and I, I was in the hospital the next week. He came by to see me, same thing, mask on, blah, blah, blah. And then I go home. And after the matches, every Wednesday night, he'd stop by my house and see me. And I thought that was awesome. And he took up a collection for me several times. He bought, brought me $300 one night, and mm-hmm. $250 another night. And, you, know, you know, the office was supposed to take care of me, which they didn't. But anyhow. Yeah, he was, was, he, was uh, he was the... He hit everybody in the dressing room, man. He 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 was the collection guy. But yeah, that and, night he came by the hospital. I was with him. I I, I think he was. Yeah, I, I was. was. With, I know the first night we came by, I was with him. I never made it to the house, but but uh, yeah, me and him, me and him and Ronnie West usually rode together. And that particular night, Ronnie wasn't with us. It was just me and him. I, I couldn't believe it. I, I, you know, it was it, it was it was. I mean, it was unbelievable. Uh, but you know. And then over the years, we, you know, we always, let me tell you something about him. He was a, one, of the, one of the greatest guys that, that I met through my career. But I'm going to tell you something about him. If that man didn't like you, you were done. Yep. I, you know that, Bobby Summers, is no, as good as I'm telling Yeah. If he liked you, there's not anything he wouldn't do for you. No, he was. And when I was going back and forth to Louisiana, he said, you go stay with me. I said, no, I'll get a room. I'll, I'll be out there like four nights. He said, you go stay with me, and you go ride with me. I said, I'm going to pay you. I'm going to pay you trans, and I'm going to pay He said, you're not paying me anything. He just wanted me there with him. You know, we, we just, it was just, we hit it off. We always hit it, I guess, because he felt bad about my knee burning it up. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, he, he, he and I were, uh, and I, I still have his number in my phone. I told him he'd call me and we'd talk and laugh and you know the good the good times we all had together. But he he was he was. Uh, I was going to ask you, Bobby. You, you'll know this better than I do since you worked in the office. He had to have drawn more money in Georgia than anybody. I would think so. I would think so. I mean, he, there was a time. There was a stretch. Probably from let's see, I came over to the I came to that office in '74, and I'd say probably between '74 and maybe '77, maybe '78. All you had to do was put his name on a poster. That's all. That's all you had to do. You, we run those spot shows, and you put his name on a poster, and you 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 were going to have a house, and it just people people flocked to him. Uh, he he and had I, to I, I, go ahead, buddy. I was just going to say, we've talked about this before. 
Whatever it is, he had it. And he had it with a mask on, which was amazing. People and, just... and that was a very unusual. But, but yes. the thing about him, I don't care if we were in the Omni and it was sold out. We was in Columbus and sold out. Savannah sold out. Macon, Augusta, or we'd be in Carrollton or Griffin or Rome or any spot shows that we did. Like Bobby says, spot shows. He worked just as hard there as he did in the Omni or in Columbus or Macon or Augusta or Albany. He 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 always worked hard every night. Every night. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. He 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 worked as hard as I mean, and I always admired him for that. And he would he would cut up and have fun with you, but when you got in the ring, you better no, not you better not do nothing to disgrace our business. No sir. <laughs> no. He was very. The only other time I ever wrestled him, that's when I was flying back out there for watch. And so we go. To, uh, I rode with him. We go to Jackson. We went to Jackson, Mississippi. Then after we left, there, we was going to go to New Orleans that night. So I'm riding with him. You're right. You rode with him. Yeah, oh yeah. yeah. Right. But he didn't know but one was, speed. One of them. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> so we get we get there. And I'm, I'm wrestling him, right? So we're in the same dressing room. I said, hey, Johnny, I said, uh, if you get a chance, hit me with that knee. <laughs> I never had it. You didn't ask and more so, than once, did you? No. <laughs> well, friend, he hit me with that thing, and I, he put his hand up to his mouth. I looked at him, and he hit me with it. I pulled a Terry Funk. I got all tangled up in those ropes. I was in, like, the middle of the close to the ropes when he hit me with it and I got all tangled up in those ropes and I cut my eyes at him and he was he put his hand up to his mouth. He was laughing his ass oh. off. I looked like <laughs> an ape going in those crazy. <laughs> As a referee when they would work a deal where he was gonna get disqualified or you were gonna get bumped out of the ring or whatever and there was a time or two they would set the deal up where he was coming to give somebody the knee and they would grab you and pulled you between them, and you would take it, buddy. I oh, I, I would cringe. You know, he lights you up. Ooh. But he he was uh he was uh he was a professional. He was he was he was something else, man. He was a great guy. The thing that amazes yeah, he, me about him is that that you know. 10, 11 year stretch that he that he worked in wrestling too. He was between forty and fifty years old. I mean, that was he he was thirty nine years old when he started beginning. I mean, he, he was his career was was pretty much on the on the downside. I mean, you, you talk about giving somebody new life. Oh, he, it, he, he basically had two two careers. Yeah, he he ate and breathed, breathed I'm, I'm telling you. Yeah, he was. You know the thing. You're talking about the age difference. You know, John was 85 when he passed away the other day, and I just turned 65 back in May. There was 20 years age difference in us. And he treated me like I was had been with him since the day he started in the business. He never treated me like a kid. He treated me as a peer. And, and, and you know, one thing about this business, I don't know if it's the same with Jerry, but it is with me. I never thought about a guy's age. He was just a guy I worked with. He was my friend. He was my ally. He was, you know, I never thought about that. 
Never. And and now all of a sudden these guys are starting to leave us, and I'm looking, you know, and it, it's real. Oh, it's it's heartbreaking to me. I mean, when you lose your friends. Yeah. I mean, you, you, you travel thousands of miles with them, and it's just it's, it's sad. Jerry, what was he driving when you was out there in, in, in uh, Louisiana with him? I'll tell you what he's driving. That blue 88 with a white top. The one that had the, the leopard seat covers? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that thing had airplane where he took the bright lights and had the dual headlights on the front. He took the bright lights, the regular bulbs out, and he put airplane landing lights in there. I did that so when I was he, he could light up the night. I had an electric 225 when I was in Kansas City, and I did the same thing. Mm-hmm. Once the law got, got us. But anyhow, uh, that's when I was flying back and forth after losing out. So we're in, well, Johnny stayed <laughs> back then. So Wahoo was out there. And so Wahoo needed a ride to Baton Rouge, I mean, to I mean, Lake Charles. So he's going to ride with two and I. And so after the matches, Wahoo wanted some beer. So two pulled up. He didn't want to get out with his hood on in that, go in that store. So I said, what do you want? He didn't want any beer. He wanted Gatorade or something. I went and got, got him some Gatorade and me some. So, well, I got out of there before Wahoo. And so uh, Wahoo came out, and I got out, and Wahoo got in the back seat. He told two, he said, let's go, let's go. He said, I'm ready to go. And uh, he said, well, there's a car blocking us. Wahoo told me, he said, Jerry, get out. I said, that car move a minute, Wahoo. And it had some black guys, four black guys in that car has blocked. And so Wahoo said, Jerry, open the door and let me out. Well, you don't want to make Wahoo too upset either. So I got out. Wahoo went over and worked them over. Don't you see? Johnny said he was killed right there. Well, they moved. And then we got us on the interstate. And I'm telling you, that man run, ran 90, 95 miles an hour all the way back to Baton Rouge. Ugh. Never got a ticket, nothing. I don't know how he did it. Yeah, he. When I first met him, he had an Oldsmobile 98. It was, I don't know what model it was. He wound up selling that 98 to Bob Orton Jr. And he had the Oldsmobile 88, the one you're talking about. We must, we probably, I made, I made thousands of miles with him in that thing. And then he bought, he bought Miss Olivia a Cadillac. And we'd take it every once in a while, and you know I was okay with that. Then he got into rebuilding, redoing cars. He redid a '57 Thunderbird. He redid it, and he drove it a little bit, and then he sold it. And he had some other cars he did that way. He was, he would you know redo them and then sell them. But he never scared me. I, he never, not one time did I ever get afraid riding with him. Until, until one of the last trips I ever made with him. We went to Chattanooga on a Saturday night, and he had bought a Volkswagen Rabbit. A diesel. With a diesel engine. And, son, that diesel didn't hit nothing but the high spots on the road. I I actually closed my eyes. It scared me. He's sitting over our life, and I told him, I said, John, I said, I ain't never been afraid of your driving. I said, son, this is insanity. That's the way he drove. But he knew one speed, and that was wide open. He was talking about the beer store with Wahoo. When Bobo Brazil would come into Atlanta, he usually would come in 
once or twice a year, and he'd stay two weeks. And when Bobo came in, me and John would always ride with him. Uh, and he always wanted to go in his car, and he always wanted to drive to the towns. He had a El Dorado Cadillac. Great big front end of that thing looked like a football field. And 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 we would ride with him to the towns. We had rode to Augusta one night, and, and Bobo decided he wanted to drink going home. So he asked John, he said, can this kid drive? And John said, yeah, he'll drive. So I'm driving the, this El Dorado, and we pulled into a liquor store. And you remember... When we went to Augusta, it was not the best part of that. Bell wasn't in the best part of town. And and we stopped at the first liquor store we came to. And I told Bobo when he got out, I said, if we're not here when you get back, we'll be right back. He said, what are you talking about? I said, Bobo, I said, you got a white man driving this pimp mobile. I got a man in the back seat wearing a white mask. And I said, you getting out and leaving us here by ourselves? And he started laughing. He said, ain't nobody going to mess with you. And we sat there, and nobody did, but uh, had some fun times. Yeah, it uh, run up down the road. You know, Johnny was a tough son of a gun too. Yes, sir. Well, was you in making that night? Him and Mephisto got into it. Yeah, I was in the dressing room. How did it go? Well, they was they was in the shower. They was they was just them two was in there. I don't know what was said. Don't know what happened. We heard a pow pow and. Frankie walked back out, and John walked out, and you could tell John had been hit in the eye, and that was the end of it. And all Mephisto ever said, we were somewhere day or two later, and he was—I ta- was just sitting there, and he was talking to somebody else, and he—and something was said about it, and he said, "Let me tell you," he said, "When somebody—he tr- said, I'll give you a, a piece of advice: when somebody tries to wrestle you, punch them. If they try to punch you, wrestle them." So evidently, John tried to take him down or something. I don't know. Mephisto got a shot in, so. I really don't know what happened, but it was but it was over after that night. I never heard, heard nothing else about it. I heard it started in the ring. It may have. When Frankie took that headpiece off, he like flicked it at Johnny and hit him in the eye with it. That could have been. That's what I heard. I, I, I was in a Savannah that night. I, I don't it, know what happened. It could have been. It could have been. But I, 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 I never asked Johnny about it or Frankie. I yeah, Frankie. I never. Yeah. Yeah, I never. I never pursued that. You know, all, all my years in the business, I only saw one fight in the dressing room. One fight. I don't know how many you saw. I never saw I don't know. I don't remember if I ever saw any in the dressing room. The only time I ever, the only time I was ever in a ring where two guys got mad at each other and went after each other was in Atlanta one night. We were working for Gunkel, and, and it started in Columbus on Monday night. Now, I wasn't there Monday night. I was in Augusta. But it was between Argentina Apollo and Ron Hill. And it started down there, and, and we got to Atlanta the next night, and they was in a six-man tag, and Ron Hill was partners with the with the uh, with the Mongols, Newton Tatry and uh, Bill Eady, and uh, they got into it in the ring, and they they locked up and went at each other. And I was probably 17 years old, and I remember Bill Eady came down. He said, "Get between them." And I can remember, you know, Bill was a monster. I remember looking at Bill and telling him, sir, if you want to get between them, you need to come on in here and just dive right in there. I said, I'm going to stand right here and let them kill each other. I don't know. Well, I'll tell you this. Neither one of them could beat each other. And, you know, I think one was happy about it and other one was glad. I mean, it just, they rolled around a little bit and that was the end of it. But it just, I don't know. 
But I really don't know what started it. Ron Hill was a weird dude. I met him in Florida when I started. Mm-hmm. He was, yeah. Eddie, Eddie Graham couldn't stand him. He ran opposition to Eddie, didn't he? Yes, he did, and that's the yeah. wrong thing to do. Yeah. Who's that? Down there. Ron Hill. Ron Hill. <laughs> Who are you talking about, Ron Hill? Yeah, he ran yeah. opposition against a lot of people. Yeah, he uh, that'd be the last place I'd run opposition. Yeah. Had all the shooters down there. Man, please. <laughs> but, yeah, it, I mean, the only one I ever saw was Thunderbolt and Tank Patton in Baton Rouge. Hmm. It, it was awful. Two was in there that night. It was the afternoon show because we had to be in Monroe that night. Watching flown, uh He'd run in a king. In fact, Johnny flew from uh, from Kingsport uh, to Baton Rouge with Watts, and Watts had rented a King Air, and it was me and Jody and uh, Frank Morrell and somebody else. And so, of course, we was gonna beat them down there because King Air run faster than Watts' plane, so. Watson them took off ahead of us. Watson Johnny took off ahead of us, and then that pilot said we'll pass him in just a few minutes, and then we did. And, but anyhow, that, that stemmed from when Thunderbolt and Hosea Williams ran the Omni. Uh huh. And uh, Tank was on the car, and he worked with Thunderbolt. Yeah. And I don't know what do you do. You don't remember anything here? What kind of house they drew? That's I heard I heard there was so many hands in the pot down there that night that nobody got no money. Well, Tank got seventy five bucks and he worked with uh, Thunderbolt. Yeah. And so this Sunday afternoon, uh, that we flew down there. I don't know how the rest of them got there. What flew us? I don't. I don't know. But anyhow, we uh, we done in the dressing room and uh, I hadn't gone on yet. Two hadn't gone on yet, and Ernie Ernie's in the dressing room. Lad and Tony Atlas is in the dressing room, and Johnny and I were sitting next to one another. So Tank and uh, Thunderbolt had their match, and all of a sudden Thunderbolt comes in the dressing room, and Watts is in there too, and Tank comes in there, and busting through the door in our dressing room, started raising all kind of hell with Thunderbolt. Yeah. And then he started talking about he said he said, I'll put up with you as long as I'm gonna put up with you. He said, You made a fool out of me out there and he said and I still haven't forgot what you did to me in in Atlanta in the army. And one thing led to another and Tank started using all kind of words, if you know what I mean. Oh, so yeah. Ernie Ernie and Atlas got up, stood up then. Well, then what stood up? He told them, he said, both of you sit your asses down right now. And they sat back down. And then Watts, who I talked to just recently, I talked to him about a month ago, he called me. We, t- we talked for probably 45 minutes to an hour. Anyhow, he said, uh, uh, he said, I'll tell you what, guys, if y'all are going to fight, you're going to fight. Right here, right now. He said, we're going to Monroe tonight and go wrestling each other. And he said, I'm telling you right now, 
if you're going to fight, you're going to fight right here in this dressing room that he was egging it on. Yeah. Well, friend, Tank went toward him, and they they damn near tore that dressing room up. And I told Johnny, I said, man, we could better get out of the way. He said, I'm not moving an inch for neither one of them. And they come by us, hitting one another, and that's that smacking sound, that bam, bam, punching. They wound up in the shower. You could hear it in there. Both of them were, had, you know, knots over their eyes, black eyes, bleeding. Then that was the end of it. But it, that, that's the only one I ever saw in the dressing room. Mm. Well, that night I hit my brother. But that wasn't a fight, you know. <laughs> that was just a little family yeah. disturbance. <laughs> <sighs> I'll, never forget, I'll never forget that night, man. I, I hit him and I begged him to get up. I said, when you get up, I'm going to beat your brains out. He, and two was in the dressing room that night, too. And Donut was there. And, and Donut said, man, we better go over and break them up. He said, they supposed to get in a fight. Two said, I'm not getting involved with two brothers fighting. He said, we go over there and fool with that. They'll turn on both of us. Yes, sir. He said, I'm not getting involved. He said, they're mad and we're not. He said, I'm not getting involved with that. Anyhow, that's when I hit him. He wouldn't get up. And, and I, I've had to get up with some of the boys watching anyhow. But he would, I begged him to get up and he wouldn't get up. So the referee was in there. And he, and I didn't know this till the next night. He went over in the dressing room. He said, those brothers over there in a fight, the guys we were going to wrestle. They said, with yeah. who? Said, with each other. They said, oh, my God. You should have seen their eyes like saucers. They're like this. And, uh, it was awful. It was awful. It was awful. But no, I don't really call that a fight. But that, that was, that was, uh, that was the only one I ever saw. He was talking about he was talking about John calling you every once in a while. He would forget what time it was. He would forget about the time difference. Right. He'd call, he'd call a house. It'd be three four o'clock in the morning. I'd answer the phone. It's like hello. He goes, "What are you doing?" I said, "I'm asleep." He said, "Why are you asleep?" I said, "John, it's three in the morning." <laughs> he said, "Well, I want to talk." I said, "Well, let's talk." <laughs> Yeah, he he was a class act, man. He was uh, oh. he was he used to get so mad at his son he couldn't stand it. Oh, you remember that? He, which one are you talking about, John Junior? Yes, the oldest one. Yeah. yeah, he. I used to go over. Me and me and Donna, my first wife, we would go over to. Uh, we went over a couple of Christmases and spent Christmas Eve with with John and Olivia and the boys. They were young. And uh, uh, had great times in their home, and yes, they got old. I know John got a little wild streak, had some had some issues, and John would get upset. And and uh, then then his middle son, uh, Mike. I think Mike had some issues there for a while too. Uh, but uh, yeah, I think yeah, I'm they surprised they didn't give him any trouble, really. Yeah, Robert Robert, the youngest woman. You know, Robert's one he lived with over in Hawaii. They were. Uh, Robert run his own business over there, and he sold a bit. He was very successful and sold it. And and I don't, I'm not sure who he's working for now, but Robert travels a lot uh, with his business. And uh, they, uh, uh, I think the last time I talked to Robert on the phone, he was actually in Seattle when I talked to him. Uh, really? So he he's doing some traveling. Last time I saw John, John and Robert came to Las Vegas for the uh, Cauliflower Alley Club and. 
Robert told me then, he said, this is probably going to be the last one. He said, Dad's getting to where he just can't travel like he used to. And uh, that was the last time I, I had a chance to sit and talk to him. What happened to John Hughes? He's still in Atlanta? You know, I don't know. I really, I have no earthly idea where he's at. You know, he refereed, well, you know, I, you worked with him, I guess. He refereed for Jody, you know. Oh, yeah. When Jody was running the first time. and uh, Oh, yeah, he refereed every night. You know, there was, uh, I know somehow he got, something happened. I went and worked a couple of nights for Jody because he couldn't be there. You know, he wasn't for whatever reason. But uh, the last time I saw John Jr., and this has been years, I got out at a Waffle House to go in to get something to eat, to pick up something to take it home or something. And I heard somebody call me by name, and I turned around and looked, and he come out of the bushes right there by a Waffle House over there in Morrow. And he told me he was working for the police department undercover. Now, I, you know, I, I fell off the truck, but it wasn't last night. Uh, <laughs> so I'm not real sure, you know, what he was doing, but I'm sure it wasn't for the police. But uh, that yeah. was the last time I saw him. I, so I'm not sure where he's at. The police might have been looking for him. Could have been. At one time, they were all in Hawaii because I think they were working for Robert. When Robert Robert's company was, he installed security and video surveillance systems in those big hotels over there. And uh, I think they were all working for them. Mike, the middle son, he worked for MARTA here in Atlanta for a while when they were building the rail system. But I understand he wound up in Hawaii working for Robert as well. So, But I'm not sure where, where, where either one of those boys are now. It would be impossible to find them. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Somebody asked me the other day if any of John's boys ever worked in the business. Uh, junior referee and some was the only one that I know that ever did anything in the business. Uh, uh, I don't know about I don't know if Mike ever had any inkling to do it, and I don't think Robert ever cared for it. Uh, he uh, he was the youngest of the, of the bunch. I can remember. I remember him. I remember he would come to the matches with his dad sometimes in the summer, and. Uh, we would sit him with somebody that we, whoever happened to be there that we knew, we'd sit him over with them, and people would go up and say, "What's your dad's name?" And he'd go, "Mr. Wrestling Number Two. He goes, "No, what's your real name?" He'd said, "Mr. Wrestling Number Two. He said, "Well, what's your name?" And he'd go, "Robert." And he'd go, "Robert what?" He said, "Robert Wrestling Two. <laughs> <laughs> so John had him trained real well. <laughs> Man, yeah, it's just. Uh... It's sad. You know, I it is. Do what? I didn't hear you. You could drop that on me. I thought Garibaldi gave him that wrestling too. I know Garibaldi gave Tim Woods the the name, but I don't. I don't. I could be I've Jared, heard that Jared. That, that's that short short time Jared was was uh, booking Atlanta. Well, him and him Chris. Him and Timmy were, were uh, you know, him and Timmy became became as close as brothers. They were great friends. And uh, <laughs> they worked that deal in Atlanta where they they turned them on each, they turned two against him, and two became a heel for a while. And uh, they worked a deal in the auditorium. And this, I was still working. I was working for Ann at the time this happened. But I, I, I would ride with Timmy and John sometimes, and they told me this story. When John hit you with the knee lift, he comes at, he didn't come at you from the side. He came at you straight on. 
if he was going to do the big finish where he backed up in the corner and had his hands over his head doing a little duck walk and then he come across and hit you with it, he came at you straight on. And the deal was he would hit you, he would hit you on the left side of your head, but you had to keep your head turned to the right. You didn't look at it. You kept your head turned away from it. And he hit Timmy with it one night at the order tournament in Atlanta, and Timmy turned his head the wrong way and was looking at him, and John hit him with that thing. And when he did, it blackened both of Timmy's eyes. He looked like a – when he had that mask on, he looked like a raccoon under there with the mask on. <laughs> and when he took it off, his nose was swole up and both eyes was black and bloodshot. I mean, that John nailed him. And he felt so bad, you know, because they were so close – but, you know, Timmy would say, it's my fault. I turned my head the wrong way. But those guys were those guys were very, very, very close. Yeah, I couldn't believe it. Tim passed away. Timmy came to Mobile that year, Jerry. He came to the reunion that year. He rode down with Ronnie Garvin. He guys going to say he uh, got the Ronnie Garvin curse. Yep, we, we, we had the... He was there. We we talked. We had a good time. We talked about old times. He, he fellowshiped. He had a great time. I've got a picture hanging in my study at church of me and him and uh, Charlie Smith and Buddy Colt and and we were all we had all had a picture made together. And and uh, uh, he died shortly there shortly after that. And uh, just was heartbreaking. Yeah. Yeah. For- Two or three years, or three or four years there in a row, whoever came to Mobile with Ronnie Garvin died not yeah, long afterwards. There was some riding with him. Probably, <laughs> that's probably what messed the heart up. <laughs> I never did ride with him. He's passed me in the emergency lane on the interstate running 100 mile an hour. Yeah. He bumped people on the, on, on the left lane that wouldn't pull over? Uh-huh. The one, the one and only time I ever rode with Billy Spears, he did a woman like that. He bumped her. And I thought to myself, if I ever make it back to where I'm going, I'll never do this again. And I didn't. I rode a Harley one time. And I swore, if God let me out of this car alive, <laughs> I'd never run with him again. I didn't. <laughs> that was my experience with Joe LaDuke. I wouldn't have gotten the call of him just the way he looked. <laughs> <laughs> and that's that. You know, he was Joe's a super nice you. guy, but that 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 crazy rolling his eyes—that wasn't a gimmick. That was him. You didn't know if he was looking at you or around you. We were. Uh, Ben Masters uh, had posted about wanting people to put stories online about John, and I I posted this the other day, and I uh, we had uh, <clears throat> we had made the loop one Saturday. We had worked Columbus TV, and God love Miss Olivia Walker. If anybody there, if you ever had the opportunity to meet Olivia, Olivia was a was a wonderful, wonderful human being. She was a sweetheart, and uh, I would meet John after Atlanta TV, and whether I was driving or he was driving. We would, uh, Olivia, a lot of times on Saturdays would have us a, she'd have us a plate of uh, kielbasa and uh, cheese and crackers and and, uh, carrots and, you know, just stuff to munch on going down the road. It was, you know, 
good for you. And but we would it'd give us a chance to eat going to Columbus TV. But we had worked, we had made the loop that day. He had drove, we was in that '88 you talking about, and we we had worked Atlanta, we'd worked Columbus, and we worked Griffin that night. And the matches is over. It was the middle of summer. It was hot, and we got out in his. We throwed our bags in the trunk, and we got in the car, and we're heading home. And we used to, this is before they bought the house. He was living in old Virginia townhomes over there, over behind uh, whatever that mall was down there uh, at 138 in Union City. And uh, we parked across the street at a standard gas station there. Uh, John told the guy that we were yacht salesmen, and we had to go to Panama City a couple times a week to check our yachts. So anyway, we started out of Griffin that night out of that old sports palace there. And I'm, I, as I always did, I kind of watched the side mirror on my side, and I told John, I said, there's a car following us. And he goes, yeah, he said, I see it. And it was a young boy and a young girl. They were probably 18, 19 years old, and they had made their mind up that night. They were going to follow wrestling, too, and see what he looked like. And uh, they followed us all the way up 1941, and John was hot. It was, you know, it was miserably hot. He had that mask on. He wanted to take it off, and he couldn't. And uh, we got uh, we got up, and we used to, when we got up 1941, when we got to Highway 138, we would turn left to go toward Union City over toward his house. And 138 back then was a, it was a, between Riverdale and Union City, it was a two-lane road, and it had curves. You could read your own tag number. And he, call, he crossed that Riverdale Highway 85, and, son, he stomped that 88. We were running 80, 90 mile an hour on them curves. And, buddy, we were, I was holding on for dear life. And we, we, we actually, we lost them. I mean, we run off and left them because they didn't know the road. And we pulled in behind that gas station there where I was parked. And as I got out of the car, I started around the car, and we were behind the station. And I told John, I said, give me your mask. And he looked at me, and he said, what are you talking about? I said, give me your mask. And uh, he did. He took it off and handed it to me. And... Uh, I jumped in my car, and I turned out and went around in front of the gas station. I told him, I said, don't you move till I call you. We all had CB radios back then. I said, don't you move till I call you. And I pulled back out of there, and I sat in that gas station until two or three minutes later, here comes a car that had been following us by. And I let him see me sitting there, and I turned and went the opposite direction toward the interstate. And I watched in my mirror as these people turned around, and I got on the interstate going toward my house, and I let them catch up with me. And I called John on the radio, told him to go on home. And I let these people catch up with me. And when they did, I reached back and took that mask off. I piddled with it like I was untying it, and I took it off. And they ran up beside me. And you have never seen two more madder individuals than you have, than those two people were that night. And me and John laughed. We laughed about that. They 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 drove 70 miles out of the way away from their home thinking they was going to see something. And we got the last life on them. That's amazing. Just they just uh, they, boy they tried they tried. I mean there was people. T- I'll give you one more funny story about that mask. Jerry, did you ever meet a guy named Dean Man- Dean Manelli? He wrestled as Dean Man. Well, his name was Not Dean really. Man. He wrestled as Dino Manelli. He was from Atlanta, local guy. Rocket Monroe trained him. Yeah, I remember that name. We were we were in Griffin that night, and uh, and uh, I got there from Columbus TV, and and John had did not have to go to Columbus TV. One of them rare Saturdays he didn't have to go, and uh, 
we sit in our dressing room and Dean come in. John John had come in and he's sitting in the in the room there with the mask on and and uh, that Dean comes in and but that Dean was hot. He was so mad. And I said, "What's the matter with you?" He said, "Up man." He said, "This old fart has tried to run me off the road. He tried to kill me." I said, "What are you talking about?" He said, "Man." He said, "This guy." He said, "He must have been a hundred years old." He said, "He was. He would get in front of me and slam on brakes." He said, "He was trying to run me off the road." He said, "He would get behind me and tailgate me." He said, "Just all the way down the road." He said, "Man." He said, I finally had to pull off the road in the gas station and let him go on. He said, this guy was going to kill me or kill himself. And I said, well, who was He said, I don't know. He said, but he was an old man. And that John was sitting there laughing. And when he did, I kind of picked up on what had happened. Dean had never seen John without the mask. And John was sitting there, and, and John asked him, he said, well, what did he look like? And he said, well, I don't know. He said, just an old man. And that John lifted that hood up, and he said, man, what did he really look like? And, son, that Dean man liked to died. He, <laughs> he liked to have died, and that John thought it was the funniest thing he'd ever heard. <laughs> but that John aggravated him all the way down the road, and the guy had no clue who it was. <laughs> Can you imagine calling him an old man? No, no, me neither. No, 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 no. <laughs> oh, well, we've lost a friend, and uh, they all hurt. But I think this one hurt worse than a lot of them do. I mean, I just—I uh, was really when I got up that morning and saw that. Uh, I mean, I was. Yeah, it, it, it hurt deep. I I have very few pictures hanging around of wrestling stuff hanging around my house, but in my dining room there's a picture of me and John in there that I that I've had on there for years up there. Uh, I got one with him and the mask on, and one without it. Me and him sitting there talking. Matter of fact, I tell you when they were made, they were made in making that night at that Hooters. And uh, oh, all over there. Yep, yep. And I. Uh, uh, just uh I just I'm I'm gonna really miss him. Yeah, he was uh he was good for our business. Yes he was. Yes he was. The people loved him. They <laughs> loved him. You you were talking about him laughing in the ring that night he hit you with the knee, covering his mouth up. Uh right after Right after Stan Stasiak came in here, uh, he was he was working with John in a spot show one night, and middle of summer and hot. And if if you ever work, did you ever work with Stasiak? Yes. Stasiak could throw a punch where he would hit his hit his side with his fore with yeah. the inside of his arm, and it would pop like a firecracker. Right. I mean, it would just. And if you sold it right, people think you'd you'd knock the guy's head off. And he hit that he hit that John one night with that punch, and John took this great big bump, and he's laying face down in the ring. And I ran up to that Stasiak, and I went, "Did you hit him in the face? Did you hit him with your fist?" Blah 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 blah. And John, he Stasiak's going, "No, Bobby, I did not. I promise you, I didn't. This is all I did." And he took his hand and he popped his side. And when he did, I turned to not look at him because I done got I was fixing to get tickled. I turned not to look at him. And the stupid people on the front row were screaming at me, yeah, that's what he did. And when he did, I lost it. <laughs> I absolutely lost it. 
I went over in the corner and sat down on the bottom turnbuckle. I mean, I just, I mean, I absolutely lost it. It's the only time it ever happened to me. I was so tickled, I was crying. And that John was laying face down, and he was barely laughing. You could see him wiggling. He was laughing so hard. Just absolutely, you know. But and you know, Stasiak never cracked a smile. Just never. But I, I lost it. You know, he was a nice guy. Yes, he was. Very yes, nice he, guy. Yes, he was. I liked him. I liked him. He was a nice yep, guy. Me too. Me too. I give you. I, I give you. Somebody give else you. could do that. That that slap. That made you think he was taking somebody's head off. <clears throat> Did you ever see Johnny Eagles do that, Jerry? Yeah. yeah. You know he was left-handed, <clears throat> and he'd throw that left hand so fast, and his he'd take his right hand and slap his own chest. You think he yeah. shot somebody? Joe Turner could do it too. You talk. You talking about? Uh, you mentioned Stasiak. I tell you. I tell you a quick funny story about Stan. I know we're getting off the thing a little, but here again, right after they had put the Georgia heavyweight title on on him, Mr. Ward run a spot show in Norman Park, Georgia. I don't know if you ever had the privilege of going to Norman Park or not, but Norman I've Park. Never was, heard of it. Well, it's it's a little town just north of Moultrie. And yeah, uh, I've been all down in there. I've been to Pavo, Moultrie, Cuthbert. Mm-hmm. Well, Norman Park's right there, just a little bit north of Moultrie, and and we we were there, and 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 they had Stan in the semifinal working with Leon Ogle. All right, and Leon's Leon, of course, calling the shots. New Georgia heavyweight champion going to wrestle Leon Ogle non-title match. So I'm sitting in the dressing room, and Leon gives me the finishes for the matches, and he tells me he says he says. Uh, Go over and tell Stan that uh, I'll tell him to get his heat up. I may come back. Tell him to stop me, grab a headlock, or I'll grab a headlock. Tell him to shoot me in. Go to backdrop me, so I'll leapfrog him, and when he turns around, I'll small package him. One, two, three. And I said, let me make sure I got this right. You're going to beat him with a small package, one, two, three. And he goes, yeah. I said, okay. So, And he said, oh, by the way, he said, tell Stan, if he would, make sure he gets kind of low on that backdrop so I can get over him. So I walk over to that other dressing room, and I told, I told Stasiak, I said, look, bud, I said, remember, I'm just a messenger. Don't don't shoot the messenger. And I gave him that finish, and he looked at me, and he said, you're kidding, right? He said, it's a joke. I said, I'm serious as a heart attack. And he said, well, okay. And I said, by the way, Leon said, would you please get extra low on that backdrop so he can make sure he gets over you with that leapfrog. We went out there that night, and everything went. He worked fine; wasn't no problem. When they went into that deal, and he shot that Leon in for that backdrop, he dropped down on all fours like he was crawling. No, he didn't. Leon like to tripped over him, and he jumped, and he fight, and he got over him, and he turned around a small package, and it it took Stan about three minutes to stand up. There again, I was trying my best not to laugh. But that was the Stan was a big guy. Yes, he was. Big. Yes, he was. Nice guy. Very nice. When I first started going to the matches as a kid, the first big feud I remember was Stasiak and Joe Scarpa. 
I mean, they worked the whole deal until they finally worked the loser leave town and Scarpa beat Stasiak and he left. But that was uh, they were the first big feud when I when I started going to the matches. Well, I know we've kind of gotten off of this, but since you're talking about big guys, what a nice guy Stasiak was. The biggest jerk that I was ever around was Jardine. <laughs> Yeah, I think I think most people would say that it's not named Gary Hart. Well, I mean, I just call it like it is. I mean, the guy was a nice guy. He was a nice guy. The guy was a jerk. This guy was the biggest jerk I ever got in the ring with. A jerk. He sure he sure took advantage of those he could take advantage of. I know that. Yeah, I didn't care for him at all. But anyhow, guys, I'm, I'm going to get out of here, and uh, I'm glad we got to talk about Johnny. We talked about a lot of other stuff. But yeah, me too. I think, I think we hit the highlights of what a great guy he was and how much everybody thought of him. And he, he was a great guy. Yeah, he was. And, uh, uh, to everybody that uh, never met him, that thought he was a thought he was a great guy, you're absolutely right. He was. He was. He was the best. I've heard. I've had a lot of guys that come into the gym since he passed away. Was talking about when they were younger, and you know they'd always ask him for his autograph, and he would always give them the autograph, and that makes you feel good, you know. Oh yeah. Especially yeah. when you're a young kid and look up to those guys. And, I know what it was like. They were they were my heroes. <laughs> yep. And then we got to do it. Yep. Yep. And then, I, then we got to do it. I got to live out my dreams, and man, I am eternally thankful <laughs> for that. Uh, 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 there's not a day he goes by I don't think about it. Not yep. one day in my life I don't think about it. Yep. I'm, I miss it. Me and too. I do it again. I do it again. Oh yeah, <laughs> I do it. Oh, yeah, if things were like they were, and I was sixteen and had the opportunity. I'd pack my bag and be gone tomorrow. I'd do it again. It was a great life, <laughs> but I got memories of it. So yep, time marches on. Well, guys, I enjoyed. Well, this all right, guys. To you guys I did too. This this was fun. I hope we can do it again sometime down the road. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Y'all get down to Columbus. I'm sure we will at some point. All right, guys. All right, Jerry. Good to talk to you, man. See you later. Y'all be good, guys. All right. Good night. Good night. Bye-bye. See you. Well, that's a shocker. John was was one of those guys. Like I said, I didn't know him near as well as you two did, but he was one of those that, you know, he's had his health issues here the last few years. Yeah, he was, uh, I was told the other day that he passed away from an aneurysm. And that was, uh, that's the same thing that happened to Miss Olivia. And, uh, you know, your belief in the good Lord, they're together again. And uh, if you have that belief, and uh, I'm going to hang on to that. It's a good thought. And we just, uh, you know, like I say, I'm going to miss him. I I just, uh, my my friends that I I ran up down the road with, a lot of them are leaving and a lot of them have gone. And, uh, we just, 
like Jerry says, got the memories, and we're gonna hang on to them. I, I, I one thing is that well, it doesn't bother me. It's just amazing. Some of them, uh, Randy Corrin said this to me the other day. We were talking. He said it's amazing how many people have been on Facebook in the last week and a half talking about him like they had known him their whole life, like he was the greatest thing. That, yeah. I mean, they were just they had ate dinner with him, and you know, uh, you know. Uh, a lot of people met him. A lot of people had their picture made with him, and they, and they, or maybe they talked to him. And but you know, for those of us that really, really, really knew him, that spent time with his family and and uh, traveled the roads with him, we just uh, uh, we're gonna we're gonna miss him tremendously. And uh, well, I think the thing that's amazing about him, and, and of course, people that are, you know, two generations or a generation younger than us. You know, they grew up on the cable wrestling and all that, and the current stuff and everything. They just do not realize what, you know, the wrestling, too, meant to the city of Atlanta and the whole state of Georgia. I mean, he was like, oh, yeah. he was like Superman here. He was, exactly uh, he was right. like uh, a superhero come to life, you know. And that's I think that's why everybody connects with him um you know, because he was, he was, you know, their boyhood hero, their first one. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, he was, uh, I it's, mean, it, yeah, people, yeah, I don't, and there's not anybody like that anymore. Not in the wrestling business. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, these, these guys that maybe, maybe Stone Cold on his run, maybe, maybe The Rock on his little run. Uh, but, but the thing was, are, though, Bobby, about them is you never got close to them. That's I was going to say you, they, they were never. You saw, you saw them on TV, and they came to town, you know, maybe once every year, or every two years. But wrestling too was in all these little towns. Yeah, I mean, all there, these little you know, small buildings where people could get up next to him, and yep, you know. That's that's the big difference in the. I mean, that's one of the major differences in our business now than than what it is now. But, you know, they were. It's like I say, these guys were my heroes. You know, you might have been a John Wayne fan or a Mickey Mantle fan or a, or a Roger Maris fan or Whitey Ford or Yogi Bear, whoever, uh, Mark Starr. You know, depending on what, regardless of who your hero was, you know, with the, with wrestling every Friday night, these guys were they were live, they were real. They were they were human beings. You could touch them, and and uh, mm-hmm. you know that's that's just it made a it made a world of difference. I just like I say, my I'm so blessed that my heroes became my friends, and uh, uh, but but as a kid, man, I lived for Friday nights in Atlanta, Georgia, and uh, it's like you said a, a thousand times. You know, you may you know they may have thought back then that they knew what was going on, whether or not it was real or not, but still. Every Friday night, they lived and died with what happened in that ring. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I've told people, you know, and I've said this on here before. People ask me a lot of times. They'll say, "What's what's your what's the you know, out of all the things you did? What do you think the greatest thing you ever did?" And and this is like you say, the people that, that we worked in front of the same people every week in these towns, especially mm-hmm. the major towns, and they would ask. They'd say, "Well, uh, you know, they would." All of them thought they knew what was going on. And they would tell you, oh, well, I know that's not real. It's this, it's that, it's that. But I was there the night. Mm-hmm. I was there the night that Ole and Dusty got mad at each other, that Wrestling 2 and the Superstar got mad at each other. And they, you know, and and, and 
Bill Eady and Wrestling 2 probably worked a thousand matches together, and I don't know if they ever, I don't think they ever had a crossword among them, you know, with each other. I, I just, uh, Dusty and Ole, never heard them have a crossword with each other. Uh, it's just, it, it, uh, uh, it was just the way our business was, and we, the guys were so good that you thought you knew, but you just wasn't sure. Mm-hmm. And that's, uh, that's what it was back then, and I was, I'm sure I'm proud I was part of it. Well, Bubba, we got to run the course. Hi. <clears throat> Everybody's listening. Thank you so much for tuning in. We, uh, I have got tons of people that have emailed me and, and, uh, and, and, uh, Facebook me and said they were going to listen tonight that they missed us. And, uh, I hope they're all either going to hear it on archive or listen to it tonight. And, uh, uh we uh, uh since we've since we've last been on the on the on the radio mr charlie smith has uh, celebrated his 90th birthday uh, he's doing well uh, and he's not improving with age i'll tell you that no well uh, you know i mean he don't he don't have a lot to work <laughs> with there uh, he's fossilized but he's not improving yes, you, there's not there's not a lot you can do you know some people are well preserved. He's pickled, but that's you know. Uh, but no, he 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 did that, and we uh, Jerry is uh, you know back home in Columbus, and he's happy as a uh, 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 probably not a good example, but happy as a dead pig laying in the sunshine. He uh, the gym's up and going again, and uh, that's uh, uh, like I said to begin. It's just like Brer Rabbit. He's been thrown right back into the into the briar patch, and he is he is yeah. very happy. Uh, Coming up on a year since Miss Kathy left, and uh, I know he still yep. he still misses Miss. I know he still misses her, and uh, has those has those problems. Uh, hang hang on one second here, Mike. Let's go ahead and wind right. it up. I got to catch phone here. All right, all, all right, guys. Bud. Well, we're gonna wind it up, and uh, thanks everybody for listening, and good night, everybody. All righty, good night. Hello. We thank you for listening to this broadcast, a production brought to you by the GWH Radio Network. Stay tuned to GeorgiaWrestlingHistory.com for the latest information on upcoming events and more. As always, we thank you for your continued support.